Well, saints, if you would please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. As you find yourselves here in 1 Samuel, cruise over to chapter 17. Now, this, this morning, our, our text is going to be here in verse 39. And so, um, if you don't have a Bible, simply raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. Um, if you don't own a Bible, simply keep this Bible as our gift to you, that you can continue to read and continue to seek the Lord on, on just what He has for you. So, with this, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 39, I know that for some of you, it may seem like an awkward passage. Why, when you have all of this amazing material here in chapter 17, would you choose verse 39? Let me just simply read it to you so you can kind of understand what we're looking at here. Because in verse 38, it simply said that Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a bronze helmet on his head. He clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened the sword, verse 39, to his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. An incredible thing to recognize it here, what Saul does is he gives to David the very best of all the armor that is in the nation of Israel. is I want to give you the best of what I have to offer. I want to give you the best of what the world has to offer. And, and uniquely, David puts them on. He tests them. But as he's walking, he then takes them back off. He removes them. And he removes them. He says, I can't use this armor. I can't use these weapons because... I have not tested these weapons. And, and I find it interesting that later on, when you get down here to, to verse 47, he looks to Goliath, he says, I want you to know that all the assembly, speaking of all the armies of the Philistines and all the armies there in Israel, that all the assembly here shall know that the Lord does not save with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Do you understand that although David hadn't tried and tested the armor that Saul gave him, note this, he's tried and tested the Lord. And I think what's interesting is this, because we see here that the Lord doesn't save with sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. Now, the the, the question that was just on my heart in, in this about the last week or so, was really, why is it that so often we as Christians, that we are not victorious in battle? And, and I'm curious, as David said, I can't fight with these, the armor that you've given me. I don't know how to fight with this armor that you've given me because I've never really tested this armor that you've given me. Do you know that so often we as Christians have, as David looks at this this physical armor, as David looks at this, this, this armor that Saul provided, he couldn't use it. He couldn't use it because he hadn't tested it. And I wonder, because we as Christians, how often that God provides armor for us, spiritual armor, but we don't use it. Why? We haven't tested it. How often is it that we look to God says, here's my armor, here's this, here's this, and we, we put it on and we say, you know what, Lord? I haven't tested it. I haven't used it. I don't know if I can trust your armor because, to be honest with you, I'm like Saul. I'm like the rest here of the nations of the Philistines. I'm trusting in what the world says. This is what you trust in. Here's the armor that the world gives you. Here's the weapon the world gives you. Here's what the world offers you. And guess what? We've been using it for so long. We've tested it. We say, well, I know I can trust this. I know I can trust this. I've tested it. I'm familiar with it. But to be honest with you, so often we are unfamiliar with the armor that the Lord provides. And because of that, we as Christians in our Christian walk, we haven't tested them. 
Do you understand that what David does so amazingly is he leaves aside the armor that Saul gives to him and he chooses the instruments that he has walked with and worked with forever. I don't know if you've ever been a kid and as a kid, there's something that sort of drew your attention. And what happens is this, is when you're a kid and maybe you're a little boy and you have a slingshot for the first time. And what you do is you set up cans and you set up all kinds and you test and you test and you practice and you practice. Or maybe you picked up a guitar for the first time and it's unfamiliar with you. So what do you do? You practice and you practice and you test it and you test it and you figure out how to use it. It was interesting that when I was in the Marines... And for a long time, I just had this, this thought process that, you know, when, when you're working out and you, you, you've done sports like wrestling, and then you've gotten into the process where you've learned the martial arts, that one of the things that I wanted, and, and I just had this desire for whatever reason, and it could be because this guy, Bruce Lee, made it look so cool, but he had these things called nunchucks. Now, if you know what a nunchuck is, it's two pieces of wood each about about a foot long or so, and they're connected by either a rope or a chain. And so you spin these things around and you flip them around. Your, but what's going to happen is this, as, as you think they look cool, they are, because you think, wow, I could really do some damage. And you understand what kind of damage you do as you spin it around, you hit yourself in the head. And I did that multiple times, and I realized this thing's going to work if I ever figure out how to work it. But I hadn't tested them. But you know what? You do it long enough, and you do it long enough, and you do it long enough. And guess what? It's like, I trust it now. See, I think the issue in our spiritual armor that we've never really taken the time to say, I want to test this, Lord, which you provided so that I can begin to trust in it. So I know that I can trust in what you've done because we've walked in it. We've tested it. And so realize, and I want to just open up as we look to this, where where David said, I can't use the armor that you provided because I truly haven't tested it. Think about this. How often do we go to God and say, God, I can't use the armor that you provided because I haven't tested it. I haven't walked in it and I don't know how to use it. And so the armor that God gives us to have spiritual victory and spiritual protection, guess what? We as Christians aren't using it and we're crying out to God, God, why is all this happening? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't I being protected? And he says, listen, I've given you the armor. I've given you the weapons, but you're not using them. They're laying off to the side in a pile. They're there in my word, but they're unused. They're untested. And what I want for us as a fellowship, what I want for us as Christians is to come to the armor that God provides and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to throw this on and I'm going to go into this battle and I know that there's going to be victory. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's and the armor is the Lord's and I don't have to worry about it. There's a passage, and maybe you're aware of it, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, there's just a couple of verses that I want to read to you. If you want, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the armor that God provides and really looking at why we don't test the armor. But before we get there, just as a note, I want to share with you in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he made this statement. He said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And then he would make this statement, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. This is absolutely incredible that we see that there are weapons in the spiritual realm that tear down everything the enemy wants to use to build against us. And I think it's so important. It's so important to understand what this armor is 
And then to have it in the, not the back of your mind, but the front of your mind to begin to walk and test the spiritual armor to see what it is and why I'm lacking having it tested in my life. And then go about and say, Lord, this is armor and it's untested, but I'm going to make this commitment today, Lord, to test this armor again and again and again, so that I can experience this this spiritual victory that you have given us. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, he made this statement, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, as he says, in the able, you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. He says, take up the whole armor. And you might be thinking, there's armor? There's spiritual armor that we can have? And the answer is absolutely yes. But within this armor, think about it. It's not going to be like simply strapping on something physically, whipping a sword around randomly, It's very distinct that it's a spiritual armor. And if you're going to apply it, you have to apply it what? In a spiritual way. And so we go to God and say, how does your armor work? And I think today it's a beautiful thing. And all I'm going to be asking you a question as we go through this list of the spiritual armor is, one, have you tested it? And if you haven't tested it, then I'm going to give you just a passage where you can say, I'm going to test this passage. I'm going to test. And you can test it again and again. You can test it day after day, minute after minute, situation after situation. Am I testing this armor? Do I know it to be true? And so wonderfully, let's take a look here in Ephesians chapter 6. And I want you to recognize what this armor is. Before I go through it individually, I want to read through this passage so you can at least have it in your mind, have it in your heart as we go through it. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He makes this statement, put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against rulers in the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Amazingly, when you take a look at the first part of this armor, and and I love the fact that maybe you haven't thought of this, but look with me, if you will, at verse 11, at verse 13, and at verse 14. And what you're going to see is there's a similarity here. It's the first part of the armor. In verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Think about it. He didn't say put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to swing it about or run or attack. He said, stand. Do you understand? It's almost as if God was saying something like, hey, guys, the battle is the Lord's. You stand and watch me. You stand and wait for my direction. You wait on me. And I love the fact that he says that you may be able to stand. And then he says this. In verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Again, he makes a mention that what we do is stand. In verse 14, he says what? Stand, therefore, having girded your waist. Do you understand? Standing, waiting on God. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. How often has you, have you tested standing? See, we test running. We test going. We test moving. We test battling. How often have you just tested standing? It's one of those things where I don't know about you, but 
if there's a, a warfare, I don't want to stand. I, I want to be that person who ducks and puts my head up and ducks and put my, he said, just stand there. Just stand there trusting me, trusting my armor, trusting what I'm doing. How often have you tested just standing in the victory of our Lord? That you stand there no matter what the enemy does, and we'll see the details in just a moment, but when the enemy makes his accusations or you fall or you fail, that all of a sudden I realize what I can stand here because what? The blood of Jesus Christ is my armor. The blood of Jesus Christ is my righteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ is my peace with God. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is my victory. Do you understand? We stand in a victory. We don't, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. It's staying in victory, standing in victory. How often as Christians are we running around looking for a victory when we can just simply say, it's already provided. And I just have to stand in it. I have to trust it. And it's an amazing thing to just stand in the victory, rest in the victory. Think about this for just a moment. What weapons or what armor did the children of Israel use when the army of Pharaoh came and and pinched them between the armies of Pharaoh and the Red Sea? Did they pull out their swords? Did they strap on helmets? You know what they did? (laughs) Moses said this, stand and see the salvation, the victory of our Lord. Just stand still and see. And amazingly, guess what God does? God caused this wind to just push against. He divided the waters of the Red Sea so that the children of Israel could walk across on dry land. Do you understand how they won the victory? They didn't run and try to escape from the the Pharaoh's army. He had horses. He had chariots. He had weapons. They had helmets. They had all those things. And the children of Israel had God. And you know what they found? The battle is the Lord's. And then as they would come into the promised land, they would be faced up against this incredible first obstacle as they come into the promised land, a city by the name of Jericho. Do you think they pulled out their sledgehammers? Do you think they pulled out their catapults? Do you think they pulled out their swords? Do you think they strapped on helmets? You know what they did? They stood initially, and then they did what? They walked around the entire city without saying a word. They, they just walked around. And as they walked around, I don't know what's going in their mind, but me as a Marine, if I was walking around this impenetrable city, I'm thinking, the walls are big. Those walls are big. And the city's huge. And I'm looking, is there, is there a weakness in the wall? If there is a problem? And I'm looking for any kind of physical evidence of what I can do to help get in. And guess what? They walked around and there was nothing the first day. So God says, walk around the second day. I'm thinking, are you sending me to, in case I miss something? And I'm looking at that and there's nothing. Walk around the third day and then the fourth day and then the fifth day and the sixth day and the seven, seven times. And then shout, just shout a victory. And guess what? All the walls came down. Every stone that was in its place, every stone that was their protection fell. And guess what they realized? They didn't need weapons at that point because the battle was the Lord's. And all they had to do was go in and clean up. That's all they had to do. So amazingly, what we recognize is the power of God and standing in his victory, standing in his power, standing in those things. And I think it's so important once you begin to recognize, Lord, I see now that you've already won the battle. Two passages to be aware of. If you're a note taker, you can jot them down. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, let me just simply read it to you. Paul said this, For this reason we also, since the day that we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that God that you may be filled with the the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understandings. I want you to know something. I want you to know a truth. And then he says this, verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in it by the knowledge of God. Do you understand? He says, I want you to know and then walk what you know. Isn't that a great word for today? In other words, God's saying, I want you to know the armor 
that I have provided, and then I want you to test the armor that I have provided in the way that I tell you to test it. I'm going to trust in you, and I want you to walk in this truth. And then we see this. He says in verse 11, he says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Do you understand where the power is not ours? It's his. For all patience and and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Do you understand? He simply says, I want you to walk in the knowledge of the victory of the blood of Jesus Christ. Walk in that knowledge. And we're going to see in just a moment of how that blood and how it is applied with our salvation and our confidence in the word and everything that it comes in, especially this very next thing that we'll be looking at is the truth. And I think, note this, trust in the victory. And I love it because in verse 13 here of Colossians 1, he said, he's delivered us from the power of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You're now part of a family. When you accept Jesus Christ, you are part of that family and then recognize that with that family, it's like, hey, dad, you're gonna watch over your kids, but I have to trust in you and trust in what you've given me to hold on to. I have to trust in your armor. And then when we look at Colossians chapter 2, just a couple of verses, verses 13 through 15, look at it for just a second with me. He says this, Colossians 2, 13, you being dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us. He's taken it all the way, having nailed it to the cross and having disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. It's absolutely amazing that he says that we were dead in our sins, but now we've been made alive through the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the handwriting of the requirement that was against us, all of our sins have been taken all the way. Why? Because the, the, the debt for those sins were nailed to the cross. What was nailed to the cross? The body of Jesus. Jesus took our debt upon himself. And as he took my sin upon himself and your sin upon, he nailed that sin upon the cross. He shed the blood and died. And that brings us from death, because now I'm no longer in my sins and dead in my sins. Now I'm alive in Christ. And so I recognize that I have this victory in the spirit that is his. He has forgiven us. And take a look at that passage in verse 13. It doesn't say that he's forgiven you some trespasses. And it doesn't say that he's forgiven you most trespasses. He has forgiven you all trespasses. Do you know what the word all means? In the Greek, it's a unique word. It means all. It just It's one of those funny words that it means it's encompassing everything. Not most, not some. It means past sins, present sins, and future sins. All those 2,000 years ago, God said, I know every sin you will ever do. When you receive Christ, all those sins he's taken upon himself. He's paid the price. So when God looks at the ledger to what have we done wrong, what do we still owe accountability to? He says, nothing. Your ledger has been paid in full. He can look at the sin, he says, but it's, it's paid for. It's paid for. It's paid for. So we now come in in this beautiful righteousness of Christ. So I want you to realize just a moment here is how often have you tested just standing? Just standing on the truth of the victory of Jesus Christ. When the enemy comes, stand on the truth. When, when, when your, your sins look at you in your face, stand in the truth. His blood has forgiven me all trespasses. All of it. And I, I'm right in him. I'm, I'm true in him. This is amazing when you think about what God has done and how he wants us to test the armor. Have you tested standing? And if not, I want to challenge you. Test it. Just test it. Just stand in the victory of Christ no matter what happens. Say, I'm going to stand proud. I'm going to stand full, not because of what I've done, not because of what I've accomplished, but simply because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And I'm going to stand. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to duck. I'm not going to do anything because Jesus, you, and I know this, the battle is yours. And the battle was won. 
And the other thing that is this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, after he says, stand, for the third time, stand. Therefore, he then says this, having put on, or he says, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Truth. And, and I think this is an amazing armor. Have you, how often have you tested truth? Now, now you're saying, okay, I don't, I don't know. How do you test truth? How do you know what, what truth is? I mean, truth today is, is, is so random. I mean, you can make the truth be anything. And, and so if you don't stand on what the world says is truth, aren't you like a hater? And, and I think it's so important that literally the world is saying that you have to believe a lie or you become a hater of the world. And you're like, no, I don't have to hate the world to stand on truth. And, and I find it amazing that, that you can have someone who's, who's born a man, is a man, and yet because he says, I'm a girl, you have to say, yes, you're a girl. Why do we have to lie? That's not truth. You understand? There's a truth. And, and when God says this, you have to walk in the truth. And then keep in mind that there's really only one truth, that this is the truth that's there in the word, in the scripture that is there before you. Everything else is suspect. But what happens is this, and I want to show you just a couple of passages because when it comes to truth, in Psalm 86, verse 11, just jot it down, the the psalmist, David, makes this statement, teach me your ways, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Reveal your scripture, because I know this is true. When, when, when you say that it's sin, I agree with you that it's sin. When you say that it's wrong, I agree with you that it's wrong. When you show me something from your word and your spirit in my life that doesn't line up to this word, I believe your word, not what I want it to be. And it's important to look to that. How often do you test the truth? I, I love it when, when John was writing his epistles there in, in 3 John chapter um, only has one chapter, but Third John chapter 1, verse 4, he, he makes that statement. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And I think that's God's heart too, when we walk in the truth. So think about what the truth is. Think about what a truth is. God says the truth is how you think. The truth is how you believe. The truth is what you believe. And the truth is how you react to what is revealed. See, when, when, when God reveals the truth, we can do what? We can react in our flesh. We can react in the spirit. And, and I think what happens is this, that how often are your initial reactions based on emotion, based on feelings? And, and I think what's interesting is this, when something happens, do I react emotionally? Do I react physically in, in, in a way because of what just happened? Like somebody cuts me off. What is my first reaction? Well, to be honest, it was to honk my horn. That, that, that horn honk, he says, God bless you. Well, it really wasn't that. Like, would you really please, do you really have to do that now? And, and so the reaction was to lay on a horn. And now it's like, well, my horn's about to break because I have to do it so often. But, but it's one of those things where you're like, I can pray for you. I, I can be frustrated because of what you've just done, putting everybody in danger. But I can pray for you. And, and, and I think what happens is God begins to work those things out. But my initial reaction was based on an emotion, was based on feelings. And, and to be honest with you, that the, the emotions and the, my feelings are, are basically, they are constantly changing. Isn't that the way it is? Your emotions and your feelings are constantly changing depending upon what? Depending upon your environment. Am I feeling well today? Am I not feeling well today? Am I around people that I like? Am I around people that I tolerate? All these things are are truths that, that change the way I feel, change the way I think. And so there are certain days that like I'm praising God because everything is good. And there's other days I'm like questioning God, God, what's going on? Because things aren't good. But the thing is, how am I reacting Am I reacting in trust saying, God, this is your plan, and I trust your plan. This is what you're bringing me through, and I'll, I'll, I'll seek you, and I'll try to figure out what you're leading me to, but I want you glorified in what I do and how I do it, not necessarily thinking, okay, do I have to do this or do this, but in the way that I do it, am I going to glorify you? And those are the things that fall back because... To be honest, that that when I react to a situation and when I look to what a truth is, do I look to what the world says is a truth 
Or do I look to what one group of scientists says is the truth or another group of scientists is the truth? It was crazy. When COVID came, what happens? Nobody knew what the truth was. One group said, this is science. Another one said, this is science. They said, you can't believe that science because we have our science. And nobody knew. And all of a sudden, what? There's a division. And I think what was interesting is this. They all wanted to stand on what they believed was the truth. But how often was the heart to say, I want to glorify you, Lord, in what I walk? Can I do that? Can I be humble? Can I be sincerely looking to you and looking to you rather than fighting and arguing your truth is wrong or or my truth is better? It's all in in a sense circumspect when it comes to it. But guess what? How we proclaim that truth, I think sometimes was more important than trying to say the truth because you could proclaim a right and a truth in a way that portrayed just arrogance and pride. And, and it was amazing on how many churches would come and say, I don't have to do what you want because I can do what God tells me to do. And their attitude was horrible. Their truth was right, but their attitude was wrong. And I think God could say, well, you know, <laughs> the truth was truth, but no one's going to listen because your heart is wrong. How many times have you gone to a non-believer a non-believer, and try to share with them the love of Christ. But instead, you point out how horrible they are. You're a sinner, and you're bad, and you're this. Literally, I have been beaten with more Bibles before I came to the Lord. They were just beating me with it, not opening it, not sharing the love of Christ, but sharing the hatred of sin. Now, granted, God hates sin, but he loves me. But know this. It's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance, to realize that, you know what? God sees our weakness. He knows we're but dust. We can look at the world and we can say, the world, you're doing this and this is wrong and this is wrong. And truly it is. You're killing babies. It's wrong. All those things are wrong. But guess what? The way we react to it is also very wrong. And what God wants us when it comes to the truth, and this is amazing, think about this, what this truth is, this book is a love letter to me, and it's a love letter to you. And what God wants is he wants to use this book to draw you closer to him. He wants to use this book to draw me closer to him. And what he's going to do is this, this book is designed to show me the planks that are in my eye. It's not designed to show the planks that are in your eye. What God says is you see the planks that are in your eye, deal with those, then you'll see clarity to see a speck in your brother's eye, just a little piece of sawdust. Don't look to have, I don't use this book to fix you. I don't use this book to fix my kids. I don't use this book to fix my friends. I use this book to fix me. This is what it's about. It's about me drawing closer to God. And this is his love letter. You want to draw closer? Here's the way. We've got to deal with issues that are, are preventing you from coming close. That's truth. And I think what happens is this. My emotions and my feelings and my pride and my arrogance, thinking I know the truth when God says what? You right now in the physical realm, you see through a glass darkly. You barely see anything of the reality that's going on. In other words, we're here in the physical. Do you realize what's going on in the spiritual? Do you realize the battles that are going on? You don't know the battles that have been going on in my heart. You don't know the battles that are going on in the people around you's heart. You don't know what their lives has been, but you judge an action. You judge a, a, a moment in their lives without recognizing that God is doing a work and God is constantly growing. And this is the truth. And I think how often... Do we look at these emotions and these feelings that are constantly changing versus the word of God that is constant and unchanging? It never changes, and it's a constant. It'll always show me that the sin is a sin, regardless of how I want to reword it. It's sin. You got to deal with it, and you can't deny it. It was amazing that early on as, as, a, as, a, as a Christian, pre-Christian, I had a massive, massive, massive anger problem. So much so that God says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It was a reality in my life. Now, I, I could tone it down to some people and would untone it down for other people, but, but it, was, it was there. It was evident that even though it may not come out my mouth, my face said, oh, I am angry. And it was there. But now what happens was this, is God began to work on that anger, but eventually he said, Lowell, you're in sin. 
He spoke to me about my anger. He says, you're in sin. And then I argued with him, no, Lord, I'm not. Because if they wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have been angry. Oh, okay. So you're saying that there's no anger? Do you realize that all I did was use them to jiggle you so that what spilled out of you is the reality of what's in you? It's a test. It's a test. And I want you to see what's in you. Just in the same way as we're going through that proverb that is, is the gold is tested through the furnace and the silver is tested through the furnace. God uses things in our life to heat us up, to challenge us so that what comes to the surface, like the, the, the impurities in the gold, the impurities of the, the silver rise to the surface. They call it sludge and then they wipe it off so that the pure stuff stays underneath. That's what God does. He allows our, our, our spirit to be heated up he heats us up, and what comes to the top is sludge. It's sin. He says, good. Now, give that to me. Put that before the cross. Understand that Christ has paid for it. Let's work on those areas. But it's truth. It's truth. And I think it's so important that, that is, is, is our feelings are constantly changing, and God's word is constant and unchanging. The question is, is this, have you tested the truth? Are you looking at this word for you? And then not, not for someone else, but for you. And if you do that, you're going to realize, oh my goodness, Lord, now I know what David says, teach me your ways, reveal it to me, and I'll walk in it. I'm not going to be a man who just is a hearer of the word. I'm going to be a man who's the doer of the word. I'm going to test this truth to see that it works. And that's what God says, test it, test it and see. And so the question is, is here, how often do you test the truth? How often do you test this word? When God says, I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to stand on it and I'm going to, you know, you're going to walk these things through because the battle is yours. The other thing he does this in verse 14, not only does he say, stand, therefore, having girded your waist in the truth, but he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. How often have you tested standing before God, not in any of your works and not in any of the things that you've done wrong, but simply laying them all aside as nothing? In other words, all the works that I've done, nothing. All the wrongs that I've done, nothing. Do you realize what it is to to truly, as it says here, having put on the breastplate that over my heart, God guards my heart with righteousness. Do you realize that the only righteousness that I want to stand is not my own? It's the one that Christ provided. That's what comes over my heart. And it's so amazing that when I do that, I don't look to the works that I've done to add to it. Think about this. The righteousness of Christ. Jesus once revealed his righteousness. He literally glowed in front of his disciples. They call it the transfiguration. And as he there, they they saw him, that his glory shined through him, shined through his clothes, that he seemed as light. This is righteousness, man, visualized. Now think about this. If you have a robe of righteousness, that which the light shines through, and you say, but Lord, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I helped this out, and I helped that out. It's sort of like putting a merit badge on your Boy Scout or Girl Scout uniform. Like, I did this, so I put a merit badge on me. Can you imagine that the... The light, the glory, can shine through the robe of righteousness, but it can't shine through a merit badge. Now the merit badge does what? Puts a black spot. It's a silhouette. Now it can't shine through. You can't put merit badges on this robe. Just leave what you've done alone. I don't want credit for it because the battle's yours anyways. And, and if I don't take credit for what I've done, I don't have to take credit for what I've done wrong. It's not a spot on me. It's not a wrinkle on the robe. It's nothing because, Jesus, you pay for that. That one on you, not on my robe. You've given me a whole nother robe. And I think when you stand on that, it's so important. How often have you tested going to God after you've sinned and still believe that you have his righteousness? Think about that. How often you've tested that? Where the enemy's, oh, you sinned. You can't go before God. And the Bible says, yes, you can. You've sinned, it's forgiven, come before God. See, the enemy tries to get you into this place of condemnation. You're so bad, God doesn't want you. Now, what God does is he doesn't give you condemnation, he gives you conviction. Say, hey, 
Here's this, it's been paid for, know that, but it's hindering a closer walk. Let's deal with this. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins. And when we're convicted of our sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, hey, if, if you know you have sinned, then can you confess that sin? And he's faithful and just to forgive you that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is what he does. And I think it's so important that, that, that stand on that breastplate of righteousness. Stand on that work that God has done. And as you do that, then you recognize, yes, Lord, it isn't my righteousness anymore. It's always been yours. And then he says this, and I love, love where, where, where Paul wrote in his first Corinthians, or second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21, jot it down. But he says this, he made him Jesus Christ. The father made Jesus Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We have this robe of righteousness. It's a gift that's been given to God. And I want you to recognize that, that we have to keep testing this righteousness. To say, listen, I have the righteousness of God. Can I add the righteousness of my works? No, I don't want to add that. I love what Paul said. He said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because of all the wrongs that I've done. He says, nevertheless, he says, I am what I am. And then he says this, but as an apostle, I've done more than all of them. And he says this, yet it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. See, he said, by the grace of God, I was called. And by the grace of God, I'd done it. It isn't me. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's. He set it up. He allowed me to know what his plan was. I held his hand. He went and did it. I was with him. And he's glorified. And I can't take credit for that. I mean, I I could get a participation medal, I guess, if I want one. But I, I don't need the credit because what? The battle was always his. And any victory is his. And I recognize that. So it's so important that we begin to see here this breastplate of righteousness, stand on the righteousness of Christ. And then, this is incredible now. Look at verse 15 of Ephesians 6. He says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How often have you tested this preparation of the good news of peace? How often do you test the good news? Have you tested putting on the, the peace that Christ says is his on your journey? See, he says, shod your feet with this. Now, now understand, to know what the peace of Christ is, let me just give you a passage so that you can kind of grasp onto it. In John chapter 14, a couple of verses I just want to read to you. Don't turn there, but just, just listen to what I'm, I'm, I'm sharing. But in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 26 through 28, it says this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So he's going to say, this is the Holy Spirit's going to tell you again and again, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Here's what Christ is doing. He makes a statement, I have given you peace. How? Verse 28, you have heard me say, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father for my Father's greater than I. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going back to the Father. I'm showing you that death is not an end. Death is not where, where you have to worry because I've overcome death. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. Do you realize? He says, if I'm going... I'm going to come back. And this is a piece that you can take that one day we will be with him. And I think it's so important to literally shod your feet with this piece. Think about this for just a second. He promises us through the gospel that you can have peace with God. The blood of Jesus Christ. We were enemies. He shed his blood. We believe in the finished work. We now have peace with God. You stand on that. He said that you can be at peace with God because of my work. And then he says this, and you can also be at peace with men. There are going to be some who hate Christ and they will hate you, but, but you can simply be at peace with your heart with them. They may not be towards you, but you can always have this peace. Do you stand in it? Are you resting in it? I think what's interesting is this. I do not recommend hiking or going to war barefoot. I just, I wouldn't recommend it. Why? Well, 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 think about this. A good pair of shoes. If you're a hiker, or if you've ever been in the service and had a hiker, and you're out, you know, do, regardless of the terrain. But if you're barefoot, it hurts. It hurts. There are certain times we have, we have in, in our yard, 
barberry bushes. And, and so what happens is this, that we have to trim them periodically. Now, if you know what a barberry bush is, it's barberry. There's barbs. There are little pokey things in it. Well, we trim them up, and I clean them up, mostly. But if I'm walking around barefoot, I realize that I hadn't cleaned them up completely. And, and I will periodically step, and, oh, oh, I missed one. And it will happen for a while until the next year. After I picked them all up with my bare feet, that's, that's the rest of them. Then next year we'll trim them up again. And, and again, there would be some that I miss. And absolutely amazing is I wouldn't recommend going out in the woods. I wouldn't recommend going to war without boots, without proper shoes. And if you have proper shoes, guess what? You can walk over every terrain. There, there's no area where like, oh, here's a mountain. I can't walk over that. Oh, here's a rocky path. I can't walk over that. If you have proper shoes on, I don't care what the terrain, I can walk on. Do you understand? Now, what happens is this, that a good pair of shoes allows you to walk over every terrain and holding on to the peace of Christ allows you to walk through any spiritual terrain. Do you understand that when the peace of God is in there, like, I can't go there. I can't do that. I can't witness because I'm nervous. I can't share because I'm nervous. I can't do that because I'm nervous. Do you understand that when you shod your feet, when you put this on your feet, this spiritual, you don't care what spiritual terrain you're walking into. Why? I'm covered. I have peace and I have confidence that I can walk in this and then not, not have to worry about being bruised or beaten up because I have his peace. He's died for my sins and he's coming back for me. Do you realize I don't have to worry about that? I don't have to worry about when I approach someone and want to share the gospel of peace. Why? Because I want them to have that peace too. I want them to be able to walk through any situation in life. No matter how devastating it may be, when you have the peace of Christ in your life, recognizing that, that this moment may not be super peaceful, but I know that in the end, he's going to work out things in me that are hindering me from drawing closer to him. And when he works, he's going to build into me a greater trust in, in, in his truth and a greater resting of, of the good news and all of these things that I can now stand on. And I think it's so important for us. Have you tested? Have you tested this peace? That when a terrain comes up spiritually, you go, I can't walk that. I can't do that. <laughs> You're not testing the peace. Literally say, I can shod my feet with this proof that you love me, the proof that you're with me. You're going to come back for me. That's how much you love me. And so I can walk it. I don't have to fear the terrain. I don't have to fear the journey because I have tested, as it says here, I have tested, I've shod my feet. I've put on this armor and tested this armor, the preparation of the gospel of peace that is constantly renewing my heart. It's the prepping of my heart, getting my heart ready. Do you know that it's so important that every day, guess what? Put on this armor. In the morning, put on the armor. Why? It's going to be tested. Are you going to have peace coming through this situation? Are you going to have peace coming through that situation? Test it. And after you have this preparation of peace, look at verse 16 here of of Ephesians 6. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Amazing, the shield of faith. Have you tested the shield of faith? Let me tell you what faith is. According to Hebrews chapter 11, it makes a statement, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11 verse 1. And as we see that faith is the substance, it's the realization, it's the confidence in what I can't see, that I don't know the end. So when I see through this glass darkly, I don't have to see it because the faith, the confidence is in him. And it's the substance, it's the realization, it's the confidence that that here that I hope for, that I have this assurance and this confidence that I can do even what I don't see. That God is going to bring me through this even though I don't see the end of it. And I think it's so important what the faith is when the enemy tells me and the others as the accuser of the brethren that I am wrong here and wrong there and did this wrong and did that wrong and that I am not worthy of God and that I'm worthless to God. And all of a sudden, my faith says, wait a second. No, 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 because in the scripture, I'm a pearl of great price. He will give everything to acquire me. And that's what Jesus has done. He's given everything to acquire you. You were that pearl of great price. You were the treasure in a field. 
It was you that he was after. And he said, I don't care the cost. I will give everything, my whole life, to purchase you because of the value that I see in you. Do you understand that so often where we were looking last Sunday where it says, hey, man looks at the outward appearance, but, but the Lord looks at the heart. Think about this for just a second. I was standing up here. Now, this is a, a, a make-believe thing. I don't have it here, but make-believe. So let's just say that I had a, do- a dollar, just a dollar. And it was nice, it was clean, it was perfect. And I set it here on the pulpit. I said, you can have this dollar. Or, and I take out a $100 bill, and I crinkle it, and I lick it. I put it on my shoe, and I grind it up. And then a really gross you ought to do this. And then I take that $100 bill, and I set it on the pulpit. You can come up and get any one of them. And I think about it, you'd say, well... <laughs> I'm going to wash that $100 bill for sure. But I'm coming. Why? Because man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at what? The value of the inside. The value of what it really is. Do you understand that you you can have something of value? And it can't look good. And it may smell bad. It may not be good. It may be gross and grody. But guess what? That's me. But God sees the value of it. He knows the value of it. He knows the value of you. And no matter how bad you look, how spiritually we smell and are dirty, he says, I know the value. I can wash you, and I have washed you in my blood. And I'm not worried about how you look on the outside. But see, this is, this is what the, 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 the trueness of, of where this, this, this faith comes in. I love the fact that as we, we have the shield of faith, that we'll be able to quench the darts of the enemy. When he says you're worthless, this field of shield of faith says, no, I'm, I'm priceless to God. I'm worth it to God. And I recognize that God has purchased me. He saw such a value. He purchased me with the most expensive, the most valuable thing in all the world, the blood of his son. The life of his son was my purchase price, was your purchase price. That's the value. Do you walk in this faith? Have you tested the faith that when the enemy says you're not, God says you're that more to me? So think about that as we come through. Then not only do we have this helmet of faith in which we, um, and then we have the sword of the spirit, verse 17. So when when we have the, the shield of faith, verse 16, then we take the, the quench all the, the, the fiery darts of the wicked one, verse 17, then we take the helmet of salvation. Have you tested the helmet of salvation? I want you to think about what salvation is and what it, what it kind of means, because we, we, we recognize that there is this absolute, unalterable, unshakable confidence in our salvation. When we look to what this salvation is, I want to share with you just just one passage or two passages. The first I want to share with you is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It makes this statement, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He talks about this knowledge, not, not that you can think, not that you can hope, but that you can know that you have eternal life. This is the helmet of salvation that I know. God, I'm covered. I know that you have watched over me. I know that you have provided for me. And then in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 27, down through verse 28, he makes this statement. Jesus, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Do you realize that once God, you accept Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, he holds you in his hand. And then he says this, no one can take you out. No one can take you out of my hand. You have eternal life. I give them eternal life. Understand, you haven't earned it. You haven't merited it. Jesus, I just give it to you. Because of I, my love set upon you, you receiving my word, I just give it to you. I give you eternal life. And once I give it to you, guess what? Once he gives it, it's ours. And I think it's so important to take this helmet, the hope of salvation, and stand in faith with this. Don't let the enemy just try to, to, to lie to you and say, oh, you had it, but now you don't. No, 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 no. Sometimes there's going to be where the Spirit is bringing conviction saying, listen, you can't be confident because you're practicing sin. 
And in a practice sin, he never gives you this confidence. So repent of it, turn, walk, and then again, that confidence is there. I love what David does. Remember in, in the, the Psalm, where in Psalm 51, he makes a statement. He doesn't say, restore unto me my salvation after he had an affair with Bathsheba, murdered her husband Uriah. He said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He knew he lost that, but he didn't lose his salvation. It's so important to grasp this. The helmet of salvation. Have you tested it? Have you tested that it's his work, he's given it to you, and that I know that I know that I know that I have eternal life? And there are some people who say, Lo, when you say that you know that you have, isn't that arrogant? How can you be sure? How can you know that? Well, because I've tested truth. Jesus said it, and he's proved it, and I believe him. It's another part of my armor that I've tested and I've walked. And so I recognize that. And then he says this, after the helmet of salvation, verse 17, he said, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Have you tested the word? Have you tested this word? Do you know it to be true? Do you know that this is is the love letter of God for you? And and what he's going to do in this word, of course, as we talked about earlier, he's going to show me my planks. And I want him to show me my planks because those planks allow me not to come and sit in his lap. Allow me to draw near to his heart because I got this big thing sticking out of my head. I want to be able to draw close. I want to be able to to experience his love. And so I come with him with this plank and he, through his grace and spirit, he he removes that so that I can come close. But every time that he says, hey, this is the plank that's stopping you from drawing near to me. I'm like, Lord, remove it. Remove it through your spirit. Remove it through. And it's so important to let this word show me what my planks are. And the word is going to show you what your planks are. The word isn't so that you can say, oh, this is a plank in my spouse or a plank in my neighbor, a plank in my... No, it's, they have specks. You have planks. And I think it's so important that, that, that we, we use this word, test it, test it, test it. To say, show me my heart, show me through your word. I want to know your word. I want your word to illuminate my life and to show me the path that I want to walk. I want to test this word. Have you tested this word of God? And then the last thing, Absolutely amazing is this, verse 18, praying. Praying always, verse 18, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Have you tested prayer? It's amazing that what we do is this. We can kind of pray as a last result. Everything's going wrong, so I might as well pray. Everything, now, now it's time to pray because now it's a disaster. Do you understand that we should be praying without ceasing? We should always have a life of communicating with the Lord. He's constantly there. We can constantly talk to him. We can constantly bring every situation to him, saying, here's my heart, here's my heart, here's my heart. Where do you want me to walk? This is so important. Continually give yourself over to him in prayer. Test prayer. Test this armor. Test these things. So hopefully this morning that you have come to a recognition as we went through this, that maybe there's some parts of the spiritual armor you've tested, And maybe there's some parts of the spiritual armor you haven't tested. And so because you haven't tested them, because you haven't done them again and again and again, you're uncertain. So when you come to these spiritual battles, you're unarmed. You've taken off this armor that he's provided for you because I can't use it because I haven't tested it. So Christian, test him. Test him and watch him prove himself faithful. Because what David had tested, he knew how to use. And this is what's great for you and me as Christians. If there's things that we've tested and things that we've done, haven't tested, everything that David tested, guess guess what? He had a staff, he had stones, and he had a sling. It's amazing. He had a piece of wood and a rock. I love this because my salvation was purchased with what? A piece of wood and a rock. His death on the cross and the, the resurrection from the stone moving. It's absolutely amazing to see how he applies these truths. And so when we looked at what does David do? It's the stone. It's the resurrection. That's the victory. That in that, death is defeated. Death is no more my enemy. It's simply nothing. That's what we can walk in. And this is what we begin to do. So may we be these people who say, you know what, Lord? If I've only tested faith, or I've only tested one thing, it's enough. David just used the stone and the sling. He didn't have to use the staff. Because God provided everything else he would need afterwards. But this is the key. The things that you, the Spirit, has shown you today that you need to test more, then pray and ask God, help me to test this so that when I go through these spiritual battles, that I can know that I know that I have this armor and I can stand. Throw the fiery darts. 
Throw what you need to. I don't have to worry about anything. Why? Because I'm standing in the victory of Christ. And I'm seeking to walk closer and closer to his heart every day. I have that confidence. May we have it all. Amen. Father, we're so grateful for this passage. And knowing that even though David is teaching us a lesson that we can't walk in the armor that we haven't tested because it's just so uncomfortable. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that you've given us an armor and that there are some pieces of it that we have not tested. So we do ask, Lord, that as your spirit revealed, that we would ask that you would help us to test, help us to walk, help us to be in your truth. So we simply ask for revelation. And then we ask for the humility that we can come and say, Lord, I don't have this. I haven't tested it. Help me to stand in this power that you provided. Help me to stand in this armor that you've given. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, amen.